0: on the subject the Lord has been challenging my heart uh, regarding recently. I finished a book a couple weeks ago. I think I mentioned it last Sunday and last Wednesday night. Uh, The title of the book is Made for Friendship, and I actually ordered a box of them uh, that should be arriving uh, in the next week or so, and I'm going to make them available to you for basically under the cost of the book. But I, I, I told one of our deacons, I said, if we could get a good number of folks in our church to read this book, it would it would have a profound and a positive impact on the life of our church. Now listen, I'm saying that in the context of understanding we already have a wonderful church, but we can make it better, amen? We want to be growing in this area of friendship and a developing a biblical view of friendship. And so I want us to consider this subject. It's really an appealing title, A Theology of Friendship. Um, a lot of people in our day, when they hear the word theology, they immediately break out in hives. Uh, no need for that, okay? When we say A Theology of Friendship, uh, we mean by that the, a study of the subject of friendship or of an understanding of the subject of friendship From God's viewpoint. Okay, that's what we mean when we say a theology of friendship. Really great quote that I've been meditating a lot on as it relates to, and it has some age on it as it relates to friendship. Friendship is the relationship, get this, that doubles our joys and halves our sorrows. Okay, I'll say it again. Friendship is the relationship that doubles our joys and halves our sorrows. Think back on some of your best memories, the greatest times that you've had, the most pleasurable experiences that you have, and now think this, that likely one of the reasons it was such a wonderful and memorable time is because you shared that time with someone else. Whether it was family or a friend, whatever that experience was, there was someone else there. Rarely do you have a wonderful experience, or is it what it is, by yourself, okay? As it relates to friendship being that relationship that halves our sorrows, many of us in this room have gone through particularly difficult times, and we would look back on it and say that, that one of the things that helped us get through it and really helped to carry the burden of whatever the difficulty was, the loss of a loved one, some kind of tragedy in life, One of the great helps that helped carry us through that, get us through through that, were friends that God placed in our lives. They were His physical hands, His voice, His touch in our lives. So a theology of friendship. When you first look for the word friend, if you search it on your program or look for it, uh, if you look for it on a, a Bible program or you look for it in a concordance, the first time you see the word friend is Genesis chapter 38, and it's not good. It's Judah, the fourth son of Jacob, and his friend Hiram the Adulamite, who Hiram is the friend of Judah and helps him cover for fornication. And if you think historically about some of the earliest historical events in the Scripture, nine times Job uses the word friend or friends, And we know what his experience with friends was. Uh, With friends like that, who needs enemies, right? And we teased recently and said that his friends were the best help they were the first seven days they showed up, and then they opened their mouths. How did he refer to them? Miserable comforters. And so, from a human perspective, friend and friendship doesn't start off very well, but I'm glad we don't have to start at Genesis 38 or Job, in order to begin to understand friendship, we can go back to Genesis chapter 2 and 3. And we find that our understanding of friendship, even though the word is not used, our understanding, our biblical understanding of friendship begins with God. Now, 1 John chapter 4, verse number 8 and verse number 16 tells us that God is what? Love. Twice. Twice. God is love and love there is a noun it's not an adjective describing God it's a noun and the idea is this is that whatever love is God is okay and whatever God is love is and you can't separate the two okay your understanding of love apart from God is a faulty understanding of love and that's important in our day and age where people are trying to define love differently okay but God is love In fact, and I've read this and it's been a challenge to me... uh, ...the word Trinity is not used in the Bible... ...but one of the greatest proofs that God is a tri-unity... three persons, one God... ...is the fact that the Bible says God is love. You don't have love with just one person. In order to have love, there has to be a relationship in multiple persons... ...so the fact that God is love... Is an indication in the scripture that God is a trinity, multiple persons. Do you understand that? Okay. As we think about this subject of friendship and God being the creator of it, I believe as we think about the explanation for the question, why did God create man? Have you ever heard people discuss that? Why did God create man? And some liberal theologians have said, well, God must have been lonely. <laughs> No, he was already a trinity, he already had the Son and the Holy Spirit, okay, that were together in perfect and eternal love. And so God didn't create man because he was lonely, God created man for a far better reason than that, and by the way, once he created man, the first thing in a perfect creation that he said that is not good is that man was alone, so he made him a helpmate. So not only did God create man for friendship and therefore a further expression of his glory, but God created woman for man, human companionship. Genesis 2.18 tells us about that. It's interesting as well for all of us husbands and wives to go to the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs, the Song of all songs, the best song that there is, and hear the Shulamite refer to her husband Solomon as her friend. God didn't create man because he was lonely, and he didn't create man and then leave us to ourselves. Can I say it this way? And I want you to listen to this. I believe God created man out of the overflow of his infinite love. He made mankind for friendship and fellowship with himself and with each other, with fellow humans. He created man, the Bible tells us in the earliest chapters, he created man in his image. Why? So that we would be created with the capacity for companionship with him and with each other. So that we could experience this relationship that doubles our joys and halves our sorrows. He created us for communication. He created us with the comprehension. Because we're in His image, He created us with the ability to comprehend love as a volition, not instinct. I want you to think about the difference. We live in a world where people will replace human relationships in their lives with an animal. You see it on bumper stickers, and you see it as a growing trend. People for whatever reason, can't get along with other people or other people can't get along with them, and so they replace it with a dog. By the way, I have one. Okay, Now, she's much closer to Elena than she is to me, and I'm great with that. Okay, But I'll tell you, there, and let me just say this. We could go further with this. There is a problem when a person lets an animal replace human relationships in their lives. The Creator's purpose was making us for friendship, for fellowship with Him as the overflow of His infinite love, as a further reflection of His goodness, so that as we communicate with each other, we can see reflected in each other God's image and glorify Him all the more. So that in our human relationships, we can enjoy the person of God and the work of God with someone else so that the joy of experiencing God's creation is doubled in our lives because we share it with someone else. And thereby, he is all the more glorified. That's the creator's purpose. And yet Satan, at the very beginning wanting to do everything that he could to antagonize and to be adversarial and to attack and undermine God, sought to do everything that he could to separate God from man and to separate man from man. By the temptation to sin, man and woman gave in and isolation became a consequence selfishness became a consequence disunity became a consequence understand that these things isolation, selfishness and disunity are not God's doing they are the devil's and sin-cursed man's doing okay. but the devil through his work was effective in separating man from God and man from man you think about spiritual death, physical death entering in, in the day that you eat thereof you'll surely die And then the disunity and the division, the separation that sin caused in the first home, Adam and Eve blaming others, Adam blaming Eve, Eve blaming the serpent, the disunity that resulted in the home when Cain would kill Abel, all of that undermining God's original purpose of companionship, friendship, and the joys that it brings. Sin entered, and sin in entering brought forth death, which in its basic definition means separation. Our capacity when Adam and Eve sinned, mankind's capacity for the experience of friendship with God and with others, get this, took a cosmic hit. Look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 8. And they, Adam and Eve, after they had sinned, tried covering themselves with aprons made of fig leaves, Heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the most pleasing time of the day. And by the way, the indication here is that this is not the first time this has happened. The indication is that God made Adam and Eve for fellowship, for friendship, as an overflow of his infinite love, as just a further reflection of his glory so that mankind could experience this perfect creation that God had made for the enjoyment of man himself and then to share it with others and then to glorify God as they all experienced it together. Sin broke that. And a habit of walking with God... In the most comfortable part of the day, in fellowship and in friendship, now is to be severed. Adam and his wife hid themselves, the Bible tells us, from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? He said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And then Adam blames the woman. The woman blames the serpent. And then, verse number 15, after the curse is stated, the the, the, uh, first mention of the gospel is given. So sin enters, fellowship is broken. Friendship, the capacity of mankind for it, even though he's still in the image of God, now that image is marred. And his capacity for friendship with God is damaged. Man is expelled from the garden. And walking with God now becomes complicated and exacerbated. But here here is where we learn to love God all the more. I want you to get this. Even at this early point, we are shown an even deeper expression of what real friendship is, what love is, and we see it in God as he immediately begins to set in motion a plan that the scriptures indicate he and the Son and the Spirit had already laid in place. And that is that even when mankind sinned, a plan would be set in motion that would result in the reconciliation of man to God. One author that I read in preparation for the message tonight said this, and I had never heard it articulated this way, the Bible is a story of friendship. The Bible is a story of friendship. The Bible records, get this, the lengths... To which God has gone in order to reconcile man back to himself. By the way, do you know where the word, the etymology of the word friend comes from? You can search this, it's online. The word friend doesn't mean a button that you click on somebody's Facebook post. Just say it, right? That's a very shallow view. And I mentioned this in a previous service. Most people's understanding of friendship in this day and age is not friendship. It's acquaintanceship. And many people's view of friend is someone's my friend if I can get from them what I need. Okay. The word friend comes from an old German word, which means really shouldn't shock us, but it's an old German word that means to love. And it's related, and you can even see this, the word friend coming from an old German word which means to love, but it also has the idea of well, as well of being free. In other words, it's not a constraining relationship, it's a volitional, it's a free relationship of love. And so, after the garden... The consequences of sin, we read of Adam and Eve, God making them skins, but they're expelled from the garden. And their interaction with the Lord, their fellowship, their relationship with the Lord is not what it was before. Walking with God in the cool of the evening. But we begin to read of individuals Men like Enoch, who Genesis chapter 5 verses 21 to 24 will tell us twice that he walked with God. He walked with God and was not, for God took him. And the indication as you look and read of all else that's taking place in the world as as the consequences of sin, as chapter number 6 will tell us that the imaginations of man's heart were evil only continually before the Lord. And that divide began to just grow but there were individuals who stood if you would and walked against the flow we read of an Enoch who walked with God and was not for God took him one of my professors from Bible college Dr. David Bond he now walks in the presence of the Lord but he used to say and I think he had heard it from someone else that in his imagination the way that it went is that Enoch was walking with the Lord, and the Lord said to Enoch one night, Enoch, we're closer to my home than yours because of our fellowship. Why don't you just come on home with me tonight? Then we read of Noah in Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 9 that he walked with God and was a just man and perfect in his generations. And God would make a covenant with him after the flood and use him as the bridge between the old world and the new and then Noah would have a descendant who would become really the pivotal Old Testament character as it relates to this plan of redemption and God's effort, His work to reconcile man to Himself, a man by the name of Abraham. And three times in Scripture, 2 Chronicles 20, Isaiah 41 and verse 8, and James chapter 2 and verse number 23, Abraham is called the friend of God not only because of God's grace in his life, but because of Abraham's response of obedience and faith to God. We read of a man by the name of Moses. In Exodus chapter 33 and verse number 11, the Bible tells us that God spoke with Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Many of the kings of Israel were graded, if you would, based on how they walked with God. But as we think about the friendship that men had with God in the Old Testament concept, and we think about those who were named as walking with God and having friendship with Him, it's interesting that they're rare individuals. We do not see a mass collection of people who were in friendship with God. They were rare individuals. And as you think about Noah and you think about Abraham and Moses and David, all four of those men who walked with God or had friendship with God, as the scripture describes them, were men who also were part of a major covenant with God and how God would make promises to his people and is still at work in his people. So as we think about friendship in the Old Testament, it was isolated and rare for a man to be called a friend of God or for it to be said of him that he walked with God, it was most of the time a focus on an individual rather than a group of people. And I would say this, that one of the reasons for that may well be that friendship with God in the Old Testament could be intimidating because of God's transcendence. Now, I'm building to something here. Do you remember the children of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai saying to Moses as the black cloud and smoke gathered over the top of the mountain and a voice like a trumpet blast could be heard and lightnings and thunderings and a boundary around the base of the mountain and the people of Israel said, Moses, you talk to God for us. It was intimidating because of God's transcendence. Now, to be sure, as you look at the Old Testament, the invitation to walk with God was there. I think about Micah chapter 6 and verse number 8. He hath shown the old man what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to what? Walk humbly with thy God. The invitation is there, but in the Old Testament the gap is often left unclosed, the gap of friendship. And this invitation is rarely accepted, and so get this, as an even further expression of the love of God and his value of friendship at its biblically understood level, God sent his son to bridge the gap of transcendence for the work of reconciliation so that the relationship, the companionship that had been broken in the Garden of Eden could be reconciled in the work of Jesus Christ. John 1.14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, lived among us, and we beheld his glory. Galatians 4 and verse number 4, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that are under the law that we might, what? Receive the adoption of sons. Be brought into family friendship. Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 9. But we see Jesus who was, what? Made a little lower than what? The angels. For the suffering of death. That he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. And notice this. The author of Hebrews makes it clear. He didn't take on him the nature of angels. In order to bridge this transcendence, transcendence so that reconciliation could take place and friendship could be restored with our God, family friendship... Jesus took upon him the nature of the children, flesh and blood, so that he could pay our sin debt that separated from us from God, and as Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18, the just died for the unjust that he might bring us to God. Hebrews chapter 2 would go on to say that part of his work was to bring many sons to glory. I have it written this way in my notes. The God of Sinai became the God of Calvary. And in Jesus, the gap is bridged. And so then we begin to study the life of Christ. And we hear him in Luke chapter 7 and verse number 34 repeat a slander that was propagated about him. That he was called a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber. And the friend, the friend of publicans and sinners. And all God's people said, Amen. amen and amen. And as Dr. Childs used to say, a couple of men and amen again. In Luke chapter number 15 and verse number 2, the Pharisees and scribes would criticize Jesus. This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. I've mentioned to you the book on the eating habits and the teaching of Christ as it relates to food. And the book called Contagious Holiness. And it's been helping me to understand two different ideas of holiness. And I can't go into it much Tonight, It's a message in and of itself. But Christ's holiness was such that he could touch, whereas the Pharisees thought their holiness would be defiled by contact, Jesus' holiness was such that he could touch a leper and not be defiled. And in fact, his holiness transformed the leper. He could eat with sinners, and his holiness was not defiled, but his holiness would take one who was a sinner and considered defiled and was defiled, and send them away made new. John chapter number 15. Whereas in the Old Testament, friendship was rare and isolated to individuals, it was intimidating because of the transcendence of God. But now in Christ, the gap is bridged. And now in Luke chapter 15, Jesus says to not one individual, but to a group of individuals who are the foundation of the New Testament church. John chapter 15 and verse number 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his what? Friends. Friends. And that's what Jesus is about to do in just a few hours from the time he says this. Verse number 14, you're my friends. Here's the reciprocal part of the relationship. You're my friends if you do whatsoever I've command you. And then notice this, henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you, plural, not individual, not singular, I have called you, plural, to a group of people. He said, I have called you what? Friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. so now friendship is moved to an intimate level because Jesus Christ, his incarnate God, has bridged the gap. It's not remote. It's not rare now. It is available for all because of Jesus. The intimacy of it is secured by the indwelling Spirit of God and those who trust Christ as Savior and by the Word of God. It is inclusive for all who will by faith receive it and enter into this friendship, family, relationship. It is in intimate and in a sense infinite because once I become a friend of God and his family, that relationship will never cease. Okay. It's fascinating to me that even the one who betrayed him was offered friendship, treated as a friend. We go on and we think of more the prospect of our friendship because of Christ. The prospect is forever. He, he wants me to be with him forever. Is an expression of his friendship. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. It's even offered, in a sense, to a thief on a cross who in his final moments of life on earth breathes out a prayer of faith to the Lord Jesus, and Jesus responds by saying, Today thou shalt be with in paradise. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. John 17, verses 23 to 26, in his great high priestly prayer, Jesus says to the Father, I will that those you have given to me will be with me where I am. I'm guaranteed of his presence now. He is with me now through the Spirit of God and the Word of God. How many of you have ever been in a really difficult time and there was not the physical presence of a friend? I remember uh, a number of months ago before Grace and I got married, I was the sickest except for one other time I'd ever been. I remember laying there in that bed, being the sickest I'd ever been except for the time my appendix ruptured, just wishing I had somebody to come in and show me some sympathy. The kids were all sick at the same time, too. It was terrible. I just prayed the rapture would happen. (laughs) I felt so bad. I was so sick for a period of 12 hours. I just thought there are some things worse than dying. And I longed for the physical presence of someone. But in all seriousness, maybe there's been a time in your life you've longed for, you've just wished for in a difficult time the physical presence of a friend. But I want you to understand something. You do have the presence of a friend that far exceeds the presence of a physical friend. And that is the presence of your friend, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the wonderful thing about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is now not in a physical body. He is not subject to physical limitations that might keep... Another friend who is in a physical body from being there. But Jesus can be there and is there. I have his presence now. His friendship is the one who bridged the gap and brought about reconciliation in this friendship, family relationship. His friendship becomes a pattern for how you and I friend each other. John 13, 34 and 35, As I have loved you, Jesus told his disciples, so love one another. This is a new commandment that they've been given. And then he said this, By, all, by this shall all men know or the world know that you're my disciples if you have what? Love. love one to another. By your friendship with one another. Friendship, love. Romans 15 and verse number 7, We're to receive one another as Christ received us. I gave the quote on Sunday, but I'm going to give it again for hopes of it sticking even more deeply in our hearts. I read of a man who was an apologist, interestingly enough, who said this, that love, for Christianity, love is the final apologetic. When all other reasons, when all other arguments have been dismissed or ineffective... Love is the final apologetic for Bible Christianity. He went on to say this, It is the argument for Christianity against which there is no argument. When God's people love each other. I mentioned one of the observations of pagans in the early centuries of Christian history. When they would watch Christians suffering, they said, Behold how they love each other. Behold how they love each other. Where does that all come from? It comes from the beautiful pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ loving us as an expression of God's love for us and the lengths to which he has gone to bridge the gap and bring reconciliation in a relationship that was broken at the Garden of Eden. Next Wednesday night, Lord willing, we'll look at some practical thoughts on biblical friendship. How do we take the theology of it and put it in shoe leather in our lives? The theology of friendship, it's one of the major purposes, I believe, of creation. God created the world and mankind out of the overflow of his love for the purpose of friendship. Not because he was lonely, but because... He wanted to show what kind of a God of love he was. And now we not only enjoy creation as a token of God's love and friendship for us and care for us, but we experience and share that wonder with others. I would say, too, that the theology of friendship indicates as well that it's one of the purposes the Bible was written, to reveal God to us and to record for us this story of friendship It's one of the great purposes of Christ's coming, to reconcile man to God, to bridge that transcendence. May I say that as we think about a theology of friendship, it's one of the purposes of the consummation of all things. Jonathan Edwards referring to heaven as the world of perfect love. There's a day coming when faith will be needed no longer, hope will be needed no longer, but love will endure forever. Friendship. I'll wait till next week to mention the story of John Newton and William Cooper. One of the great friendships in all of Christian history. John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. William Cooper, the author of There's a Fountain Filled with Blood, Drawn from Emmanuel's Veins. I'll just mention this because God, out of the difficulty of their friendship, showed a beautiful picture of real Selfless, godlike friendship. But for 12 years, they lived in the town of Olney, England. And their friendship was so strong that they would pass daily in a field between their two houses that another lady owned. And they paid her a guinea a year rent just for the privilege of passing. And to this day, that field is called the Guinea as a token to the friendship of John Newton and William Cooper. And what a wonderful reflection it was of God's love, God's friendship. I'll just close with this and then we'll go to prayer. Loving and being loved God's way in the relationship of friendship is one of the great delights of life and one of the great responsibilities of life. It's one of the great delights of life. Maybe this is the proposition at the end of the message I want you to be thinking deeply about friendship from God's perspective. Cherish the good friends that you have and show yourself friendly so you can be making even more. It's one of the purposes that God made us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for how you've challenged me doing this thinking in the last couple of weeks on the subject of friendship. Lord, would you please strengthen us as believers in this church to be friends and to enjoy friendship. I pray these things in Christ's name.